Good morning once again. This morning, thank you, Kim, and the worship team for, for leading us in worship this morning. How are you all doing this morning? Are you ready to hear the word of God this morning? Yes. You know, for if you, if you are here, if you're new this morning or you haven't been around and you're kind of wondering what's that big fire that is not actually burning, what's wrong, what's, what's with that picture? You see, for the past two weeks, we have been, uh, we started our sermon series on experiencing God. And, and many of you have already been going through a journey with us and we're using this book about experiencing God, and it really shows us that we see how God worked with Moses, you know, the burning bush, and how God spoke to Moses, and how God, how Moses experienced God in those moments as he journeyed on with his, his life and his ministry with the Israelites. But church, together, we are embarked on this journey, and we want all of you to be part of this journey together, because we are all in this journey, aren't we? We need each other, and certainly we need God. And that's why we are doing this as a church corporately. Because we know that in this life that we live in, in the challenges that we face, we can't do it alone. We have God, but we have each other. And last week, we started with our, uh, the first sermon of, the, of the, the whole series about the first unit. And it was about how we, each, each of you have been asked to memorize a scripture verse. Does anyone remember what last week's scripture verse was? It was found from John 15, 5. And it was shared that God is at work around us, isn't he? In, in all of us, through us, God is at work. And so it reminds us that we need to abide in Christ. And that's what John 15, 5 says. And so let me see if you guys remember what that verse was. Do you need the screen? Yes, oh my, really? Okay, we're going to put it up, we're going to put it up, put it up. But also, if you know it, please test yourself, close your eyes. Close your eyes, I trust that you will do that. But if not, it's going to be on the screen. And it says what? John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. John 15, 5. Let's do the next screen. Let's see how we can do on this one. Here we go. Let's give it a try. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. And here's a new verse for the week. And it's from Psalm 27. And it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let's say it together. Okay, Psalm 27. We keep forgetting that, so here we go. Let's do it together. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 27. Let's do it again. Next slide. I still like this whole idea. So here we go. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 27. Next slide. Here we go. Getting it shorter, more blanks. Here we go. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 27. Let's see the next slide. 
All right, more lines. Here we go. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Psalm 27. I think that's the end of it for now. Verse 7. This verse 7 of, chap, of, of Psalm 20 was something of a prayer. A prayer to God on behalf of the king. And we're talking about here King David. And the people of Israel apparently would sing this song. Would sing this song as a prayer to God to deliver their king. And maybe right before a battle, they would sing this. And imagine that. Because you see, their faith was, their faith was wrapped up with their kings. If he won, they won. If he lost, what is it? They lost, right? So it was in their best interest for the king to win. And so they prayed to God for the king and his men. So verse 7, where we are today, which we're going to be talking about and memorizing, tells us and reminds us where their confidence was in and on. It was, and it's their confidence is not in chariots, not in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Church, in this day of modern high-speed transit and advanced warfare, it's hard to imagine the chariot as being a comfortable method of transportation, let alone as a fierce weapon used in battle. So can you imagine with me traveling across the desert in a dusty chariot without the convenience of air conditioning? Bucket seats. How about cruise control? Or could you imagine a host, tons of chariots facing off against any of today's armies? But I want us to go back in the time, the days of ancient Israel, when chariots were used in war, were used in battle. Back then, the war chariot was a powerful weapon, as a patriot missile is to us today. It was an incredible machine consisting of two large wheels spinning in an, on an axle. And at the center of the spokes of the wheel would, would often be a blade-like object sticking out. And you see a picture right there, which would sustain huge damage when sideswiping another chariot. It could be bloody, wouldn't it? These chariots were, were drawn by the most powerful horses, and they are lined up side by side on the battlefield. And these fighting machines cause fear and intimidation. So imagine the terror, the fear that people of Israel must have felt whenever they, they would look across the valley. And there they would see their enemies and lined up in these fierce piece, pieces of machinery that we just talked about ready, ready to attack them. And yes, of course, the Israelites themselves, the Israelites' army has their own chariots and horses for battle. But church, there was one thing that we need to know and understand is that the Israelites, they had less horses to use for their battle. And I I was thinking about that. I said, really, what, less horses? 
You see, God had commanded in the law of Moses, and you can find this in Deuteronomy 17, 16, that the king must not build up large stable of horses for himself because you see, the king of Israel did not want, God did not want the king to multiply horses for themselves either for use in cavalry or war to pull, uh, pull the chariots. And when you think about it, isn't that crazy? Isn't that like not fair at all? Not fair. Not having enough horses or chariots would have made the Israelites extremely defenseless. Defenseless against their enemy. So why did the Lord forbid them to multiply horses? Wouldn't that help them in their battle? But sadly, it is all too easy, church, even for believers and followers like us to buy into the worldly thinking that admires self-reliance as a virtue and automatically begin to trust and look to the things that make us feel, feel like we are in control and give us status and significance. You see, whether it's a horse or a Lexus, a chariot or a Swiss bank account. Church, nothing compares to the name of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen? Jesus Christ to whom all power in heaven and earth has been given. You see, God wanted Israel to look to God. Did you hear that? God wanted Israel to look to God. So I want you to tell your neighbor, look to God. Tell the next neighbor or someone else said, look to God. God wanted Israel to look to God. Not on chariots, not on horses. And they say it in their prayer in verse 7. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see, to experience God, we need to, to look to him and trust. And not trust in, in our chariots and our horses. And I want to share two truths with you this morning about looking to God. There could be more, but we will just only focus on two. And number one is this. Looking to God means that we are to live a God-centered life. A God-centered life. And so let me ask you this. What are you centering your life on today? What is it? What chariots, what, what horses are you putting in your life right now? In other words, who or what are you living your life for? You see, we can center, you can center your life around a career, a, a sport, a hobby, making money, having fun, a goal, a status. It could be the number of friends and likes in social media or even relationships. You know what? There's nothing wrong with any of those things that we mentioned or even more. They're all good. They're all fine. But church, listen to this. But they all make a lousy center for your life. They do. They can become our God. They can. And you know, for me, I find myself worrying a lot. I worry about all kinds of things that are here and there, and I don't know, I know I'm not the only one. 
in, in the room. But I do. And even just this morning, as we were in the first service, uh, it started out, I got a text. And the text says that my parents right now are in the Philippines for two months. And the text says that there's been a bombing in the Philippines and we have not heard from our parents. And so we're going, the text keep going back and there goes my worrying. My worrying. And when I worry, when you see, when I'm worrying, I'm allowing someone or something to become the center of my life. And I'm trusting in my chariots and and horses. And now I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to find ways of figuring out how to figure out what's happening with my parents instead of trusting and looking to God. See, we could also make a person be the center of our life. I don't know if you know that we could do that. And we'll be under stress because we know that a person can walk out of our life at any time or for any reason. And church, as a follower of Christ, to know and to do the will of God, we need to deny ourselves and live a God-centered life. We need God at the center of our life because he is absolutely unchanging. Amen? Do you agree that he's unchanging? His scripture said, Jesus Christ said that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What a reminder. And so what is exactly a God-centered living? A God-centered living is is lived by a person who is God-centered. And this is quickly, I'm going to go over the list. And it's on the screen. A God-centered person is the one that places confidence in God. Dependence on God and his ability and provision. A God-centered person focuses on God and his activity. A God-centered is humble before God. A God-centered person denies self and lives for God. The God-centered person seeks for the first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And a God-centered person seeks God's perspective in every circumstance and God-centered person chooses holy and godly living. And so if this is what a God-centered life looks like, what is the opposite of God-centered? It's self-centered. And I want to show you this list. A self-centered living looks like this. It's focused on self. It's focused on self and self-accomplishments. It's focused on self-confidence. Depends on self and self owns ability. Affirms self. Seeks to be acceptable to the world and its ways. Looks at the circumstances from a human perspective. And certainly a self-centered person chooses selfish and ordinary living. Wow. Isn't that a lot of self in there? It sure gives me a bad taste in my mouth. Just saying the the word self. So church, look at the screen. Together, next to each other, what do we see? Can you see the difference between the two? Can you see yourself? We need to choose one or the other, don't we? God is all over on one side where the blue letters are highlighted and self is on the other. You see, the self-centered life is all about us. Me, myself, and I, all about me. But God-centered life is this. It's not about us. It's not certainly about me. And church, it's certainly not about you. Can you say that? It's not about me. 
I'm sorry, I may have bust your bubble this morning, but really, it's not about you. It's all about God. Amen? Amen? Church, only when we are living in a God-centered life can God accomplish through us the purposes he has for us. You know, lately I have been making myself be intentional. And intentionality is always not an easy thing, but it's one that I'm, I'm a goal that I've been working on to be intentional in making that list, the God-centered list, to be part of my daily prayer. And that prayer goes like, Lord, help me to be God-centered and not self-centered today. And so when I, when I mentioned earlier about always worrying, and one way, of course, today was a way to test it. Like you see how God works. I love it. He does. He tests it. And one way that I know that God is in the center of my life, that he's there, is that I worry less. That I depend on him. And so this whole situation with my parents and the whole idea, and you know what? I just need to trust God that they are safe and they are in God's hands and they will be protected. And I need to give God and seek him for what I am worried about. So church, following Christ, who, followers of Christ who center their lives on him, start to become like him. They talk about him, they think about him, they dream about him, and they plan to spend more time with him. And so someone whose life is centered on God, they choose to obey his commands out of love and honor for the Lord, not for fear of being caught in sin. Because you see, the greatest desire of one who is God-centered is to please him and to grow to become more like him. And I like what Paul says, and I think we all should echo it. It says, I want to know Christ. Isn't that what this whole Sermon series is to not just know, but to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Church, the important goal of a God-centered life is to glorify God. And we must seek to see from God's perspective rather than our own human perspective. But church, this morning, I want to make sure that, that we understand that, that the difference between God-centered life and a religion-centered life. We need to, let, let's not be confused of a God-centered life and a religion-centered life. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were, were religion-centered. They ate, drank, and slept the law, didn't they? And they could talk rules and codes and judgment as fast as a a child can recite their ABCs. But Jesus had harsh words and he rebuked them and said in Matthew, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Wow. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. They were law-centered. I'm not saying we don't read the law, we don't study it, but it is we need to be cautious and be aware that they were law-centered but not God-centered. It made all the difference. A religion-centered life strives for supremacy, attention, and glory based on, upon performance. It keeps score and judges itself and others by the self-made standards. God-centered lives rest in the finished work of Jesus 
on their behalf and want very much for holiness. Church, we all need to long and want for holiness because scripture says make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, what does God say? No one will see the Lord. God-centered also means staying close to him, abiding in him. Remember John 15, 5, what does it say? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So number one, looking to God means living a God-centered life. Number two, thank you for being so patient. We're almost there. We look to God by listening to God speak. You see, God speaks, and in the Old Testament, God spoke to many times and in many ways. That was the Old Testament, but not only there in the Old Testament, he still speaks to us, to you and me today. He speaks through his word. Yesterday, we were at the, if you, uh, if you were there, remember, we went through the whole, the Bible uh, Institute of Hawaii, and we were studying the word. And that was amazing. And God speaks to us through, through prayer and our circumstances, the church, others, and the Holy Spirit. We've said God is always at work in and around us. So the key to knowing God's voice, church, is that it comes from this intimate relationship with him. It does. And have you ever been discouraged and frustrated when things don't go your way? When efforts seem useless and hopeless, when we've had enough, then it's time to listen. Rather than becoming angry at the way things work, we need to be still. Rather than complaining about our circumstances and, our, and expecting God to change them, church, we need to be quiet. Then rather than blaming someone else, yes, we love the blame game. For our difficulties, we need to, choose to close our mouths and open our ears. Because I believe that, isn't it why we have one mouth and two ears? There's a lesson for that. We need to listen to the sound of silence so that we can hear the voice of God. But when we're facing life's uncertainties or but when we've just had enough, it's not always easy to listen, isn't it? Not easy to listen to the sound of silence. We live in a world full of noises. Noise, noise here, noise there, noises around us. But some of us may wish that God could just spell everything out for us. Just give it to us and we'll do whatever he says. But no, God wants us to listen and hear what he has to say. And that's why Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. You see, God's ways are not our ways. When God reveals what he is up to, it is our responsibility to respond and adjust to our lives, to what God is about to do. Are you listening, church? Are you truly listening to the voice of God? He has a purpose for your life, for each of us, and he wants us to know. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Abraham, certainly for Abraham, about building a great nation. A great nation. And can you imagine if God came to you as Abraham, can you, to, he's going to build a great nation, and you're like, 
Really? What's your reaction? I am not capable. This is, I'm not qualified. I'm not trained. So I don't want to do it. Church, that's more of a reaction of a self-centered person, isn't it? God spoke to Abraham. God listened and obeyed. See, when the moment God speaks, we need to listen because God's timing is his timing. As a servant trusts the master, as the master speaks and calls, the servant trusts and obeys the master. We just need to trust in the Lord with all our heart. And lean out on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Church, let's look to God in his infinite wisdom. Rather than our ability to fix and solve problems. Because the only thing he asked of us is this. The priority is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. As the worship team comes up, and I'm going to ask them to come up now, and as, as I draw this time to a close, I'd like to close up with this illustration. How many of you have ever played the trust walk game? As a little kid, or maybe in your work, you did a team building thing, to where it takes about two people. One person is being blindfolded, and the other person is the one who will lead the blindfold person with the use of their voice. So the other person will just have to guide the blind person, blinded, folded, blindfolded person through the activity. You see, the last time I remember playing the trust walk game, and I remember playing that game, and as I put, I put on the, someone put on the blindfold on me, and I said to myself, yes, I can do this. I, I can do this. With my own strength, I'll be able to get through this activity. Forget the person. You know, I'm capable, but you know what? No matter how much I wanted control of the activity, no matter how much I wanted to do it on my own self, church, I really needed to rely on the other person. I needed to, to take on their perspective and put it on and, and think about it and put it in, my, in at that situation. When they said, go left, I would go left. Why would I go right? Right? Okay, I'm blindfolded, so I can't see anything. Left and right, I just realized I went the other way. But really, I needed to trust that person. The whole point is I felt so helpless. And the only thing I needed to say is that it's not about me anymore. It's about the person who's going to get me through this activity. And church, I find it similar to my faith journey. You see, that trust walk thing is so similar to my faith journey. As I walk every day to follow Christ, that self in me keeps wanting to take over. That self in me, when circumstances comes and situation and life happens, doesn't it? I try to do things on my own strength. Oh, I can tell you I do. I have tried it. And instead of looking to God, but I get so distracted by what's around me. I do. It's so distracting that I think for my walk, I need to be blindfolded. I need to be blindfolded. That may sound silly, but you see, when I'm blindfolded, I don't need to worry about what's distracting me. I just need to, to, to be still and know that I have a God who I can turn to, I can look to. And I just need to put God in the center of my life. 
and listen to what he has to say to me. And the, word, the song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Church, this morning you were given a little piece of this blindfold. A blindfold that may be a reminder to a reminder to us this morning. A reminder, maybe a symbol for many of us who are distracted with all of the things in our life that is taking us away from making God be the center of our life. Maybe take that blindfold. I know it doesn't go all the way around. A symbol saying, Lord, I'm too distracted. I need to focus on you. I need to take my life center on you. So church, the enemy is around us. He's come to what? Steal, destroy, and kill. Yes, in every angle, distraction from the enemy. So this morning, as we close, I want you to make a commitment. A commitment to live a God-centered life. And it could be a commitment, church, for each of you, for a commitment to let God be the center for, for the marriages in this, in this room right now. Is God the center of your life, in your family, in your job? How about the decisions that you have to make soon or later? Is he in that decision? And certainly, maybe today is just a way to say, Lord, I need help. I'm too distracted. Listen as the worship team sings. And we do it every Sunday. The place of prayer in the front is for you and the Lord. And on the side are prayer warriors who would love to pray with you. So church, together let's make God be the center of our, let's look to him. And allow him to make, to make that change that needs to be done in our lives this morning. Responds as the, as the Spirit leads and as the worship team leads us in prayer. You're all I want. You're all I needed. Don't we need him, church? And so I trust and pray that this morning, that as you leave this place, that you've truly experienced God this morning. And take that with you this week. Take him with you wherever you go. And I'd like to pray for you this morning, for those who maybe are, there's things in your life that you're struggling with, and I know those that are standing there on the, on the side of the room, they'd be willing to pray with you as well. If you could just, with everyone's eyes closed and your head bowed, go ahead and raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you as we close our time together. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And if you're up there and I can't see you, I know the Lord does. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder and the encouragement and the challenge that you place in our lives and how much we need to look to you, God. Too many distractions. And maybe that blindfold will just get us started to just start looking to you and allow you to be the center of our life, Lord. And with that, to truly listen to you. So, Father, for those who have raised their hands, wherever they may be in the room, 
I, I lift them up to you, Lord, whatever going on in their lives, they're all yours, Lord. And today we claim you. And we claim the verse that, that says that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God's people says, amen, amen.